Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the NDP won't support a liberal bill that could mean fines or jail time for fraudulent Serb claims. That is going to put more vulnerable people at risk. That's exactly what we should not be doing, putting desperate people at risk for criminal charges and incarceration. The Conservatives call on the Auditor General to examine the economic programs introduced in response to COVID-19. This government is spending over a half a trillion dollars. In fact, in the last 10 years, government spending has doubled and the number of audits has gone down by half. And Bill Blair says under the right circumstances, police body cameras can be very effective. I also know from some experience that video evidence can be the best possible evidence to, to give um, us all of, and, and the public a better understanding of exactly what transpired. It's Wednesday, June the 10th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by author and op-ed columnist for the Chronicle Herald, Dan Legere. Dan, thank you for being with us. Hi, Mark. The Liberals are talking about some type of penalties for people who process fraudulent claims under the Canada Emergency Response Benefit. The NDP is saying it won't support uh, a bill that would mean fines or jail time. The Prime Minister yesterday clarified his comments saying, uh, look, this isn't going to be about people who make mistakes, uh, honest mistakes. Uh, so what do you think about this? Should there be penalties if people deliberately try to take advantage of some of the benefits that are available to them during the coronavirus crisis? Uh, yes, yes. I, uh, you know, in my mind, the simple answer to that is is yes. If uh, a government program is put out there in the public interest at a time of crisis, which is exactly what is going on and what was going on um you know, that spurred the uh, creation of this whole program. Um, yes, there should be uh, penalties for those who defraud the public. Uh, you know, I don't pay my taxes uh, to, for some uh, somebody to exploit them, you know. So, um, and I think the Canadian government over many, many decades, I mean, I'm old enough to remember all kinds of uh, employment and unemployment insurance schemes and frauds and and scams that were pulled off over the decades. Um, when there is government money floating around, there will always be a certain element of society that wishes to exploit that for their own personal benefit. And I'm sure it's no different this time around. It occurred to me as soon as this program was announced that it was going so fast that there would be people who will sneak in and grab what they can. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I'm sensitive to what the NDP is trying to say that, you know, you can't have uh, an army of hard-eyed uh, bean counters chasing people around and, and making them account for their grocery bills. But at the same time, uh, the government has to send a signal that fraud won't be tolerated. And, um, you know, it's, it's walking a fine line to some degree. But look, there's plenty of precedents in, in Canada. It's against the law to defraud the tax system. It's against the law to defraud EI. It's against the law to defraud... Uh, any of these government grant and loan programs. So uh, why would it not be in this case as well? Now, the NDP uh, saying they won't support that bill is is one example of how the opposition is increasingly pushing back against the government's 
activities uh, during the coronavirus crisis. The Conservatives, for example, have asked the Auditor General's office to look into some of the economic programs that have been introduced in response to COVID-19. Um, and do you think that is uh, a worth worthwhile endeavor? Uh, obviously, these, these programs are not going to be perfect. Uh, there are going to be mistakes. There are going to be flaws. Uh, but at the same time, uh, I think the government's intent was for the overarching effect of it all to be positive and to shore up the economy and to help Canadians. Yeah, and and you know, I would be astonished if the if somebody over at the Auditor General's department didn't already have a file building on this program and its and its branches uh, that have have sprung out from it. Um, that's what auditor generals do. Um, I, you know, opposition parties really have. I mean, the, the auditor general is their sort of sword. Uh, to uh, they can brandish, you know, to to go on the attack against government spending that they think might not be managed perfectly. Um, you know, with the haste that this uh, that these emergency programs were put together, I mean, they're all called emergency programs. Um, it's not a uh, you know, it's not a something that the government campaigned on or had developed or proposed in budgets or that had been debated in Parliament. None of those things. It was all totally. Uh, flying by the seat of their pants. I mean, mistakes were made, I'm sure, and we're going to find out about them over the next few years. So it is 100% appropriate for an opposition party to call for the Auditor General to uh, keep tabs on this. That's what the Auditor General's job is. So, you know, all these things are fine. Uh, you know, the government, the opposition parties should be questioning the government. They should be holding them to account. I think Canadians generally supported the idea of, of the government sort of, you know, moving quickly and, and getting over the normal uh, mountain of bureaucratic boulders in its way and, and getting money out to the people when they really needed it. And uh, But, you know, we haven't abandoned uh, parliamentary democracy in this country. It's a little sketchy how it's all working now. It's, it's hit and miss a little bit. But eventually it's going to return, like everything else, is going to return to uh, the norms that have been established and that Canadians trust. I don't see any, this is no time, you know, to walk away from that. The pandemic will go away someday and we have to restore um, all the elements of responsible uh, and accountable government. Yeah, and many things are already returning to normal. Uh, we've seen more examples of that in the past few days. Uh, but one thing that's not going to change, at least for now, is uh, the status at the Canada-U.S. border. So uh, another example of how the, the travel restrictions will remain in place, uh, because this is still a serious crisis, obviously. Yeah, and, you know, the Americans, I don't think, have nearly uh, the type of control over the spread of the COVID uh, virus uh, that we'd all wish to see before that border opened. Uh, you know, or in an ordinary day, in ordinary pre-pandemic times, uh, people crossed in their tens of thousands every single day, maybe hundreds of thousands back and forth across the border for every reason under the sun. Um, you know, people in New Brunswick go across the border to St. Stephen to buy milk because milk's cheaper on the U.S. side. Well, that, that's all been kiboshed. And um, so, but things are going to get back to normal, but I don't think there's any appetite in the Canadian public, or very little, to simply open the border again willy-nilly to the states where they seem to still have, it, it still seems chaotic. 
the states and the federal U.S. government are still at odds with how to deal with it. And there is no overall American strategy to deal with COVID-19 that I'm aware of, and I follow this every day. So I, I don't understand, you know, there's no compelling reason, shall we say, to open up the border to casual uh, crossings. Uh, there is an argument to allow families to reunite. And, of course, there is the absolute necessary uh, traffic caused by uh, our integrated economies. So, you know, there's quite a bit of traffic as it is, uh, but there's every good reason, especially from Canada's point of view, to maintain strict border controls until, you know, the U.S. really seems to be coming out the other side of it, and I don't think they're there yet. All right, let's turn to the issue of racism in Canada. And uh, there's news today that Alberta's uh, deputy commissioner of the RCMP has denied there's systemic racism in policing in Canada. This has become a bit of a, a, a discussion around this issue, whether systemic racism is the right way to describe it, whether it exists. Um, what do you think about that, that reaction from a deputy commissioner of the RCMP? It's an outrageous distortion, frankly. Uh, I mean, I think uh, we've seen enough evidence now of systemic racism throughout policing in Canada. Um, you know, there are thousands and thousands of, of Canadian police officers at federal and local levels and provincial, uh, provincial levels who who are not racist and who do everything in their power to, to be fair to all people. But... You know, there have been too many shootings and too many brutal arrests, too many stories of Aboriginal people being abused by police services right out in Alberta itself as well. And uh, for this uh, Deputy Commissioner Curtis Zablocki to make this uh, really high-handed statement that it doesn't exist, uh, you know, that that's just wrong. And if you ask me, that suggests that the level of training and um, and uh, and consciousness, shall we say, in the RCMP toward these matters is sadly lacking. And uh, you know the the Mounties have have had a few spectacular failures in Canada over the past year or two. Some involved with race, some involved with just good old policing. And uh, you know if if there's a federal agency that needs a root and branch examination of what's going on, it's the RCMP right now. Uh, and that this individual is the highest-ranking uh, police o- uh, police officer among the Mounties in Alberta and can make a bland uh, statement like that is, is almost outrageous. And I hope uh, somebody up higher in the RCMP, the RCMP food chain is, is having a heart-to-heart discussion with uh, Deputy Commissioner Zablocki today because uh, he's outrageously wrong. And um, as long as senior police officers have that point of view, it's going to be really hard to bring about meaningful reform uh, about race in Canada and especially about race in policing in Canada. We're way past that discussion now. All right. Just quickly, as we wrap up, what about the issue of body cameras on police officers? Bill Blair, the public safety minister, who's a former police chief himself, of course, uh, made some comments about that yesterday. Do you think we're going to see... Uh, uh, more police services adopting that uh, that technology? Well, I think so. But, you know, most policing in Canada is done by municipal police forces. Um, so Toronto is going to make up its own mind, Ottawa, Montreal, Halifax, etc. Um, you know, the prime minister can urge these 
types of reforms uh, in the federal policing area. And, uh, you know, whatever the prime minister says, I guess, in ordinary times, certainly has an impact on public debates. Um, and that's his point of view. I, I don't know myself, one way or the other, uh, what they'll achieve other than uh, anything that improves accountability at the level is, is to be pursued, I think, is, is valuable. Um, but uh, they're not going to cure problems of, of systemic racism among police. It's not going to cure uh, police brutality or overreactions. But, uh, you know, and, and mo- mostly speaking uh, across the country, Mark, Canada Canada is fairly well served by its police forces, it, it, which do conduct themselves for the most part in the great majority of cases uh, professionally and uh, humanely. Uh, but you know uh, there are serious concerns. The public is worried. That's why they're having a discussion about body cameras. Right. And um, let's let's have the discussion and see where it goes. All right, Dan. Great to have your thoughts on all of this today. Thank you. Thanks for the call, Mark. That's Dan Legere, author and op-ed columnist for the Chronicle Herald. Within all of societal systems, within within the justice system, but also our mental health system, health other health systems, the education system, employment systems, there are disparate outcomes, and which which reflect, I believe, a social injustice that does exist in our society. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today, in the Montreal Gazette. Lise Ravery argues we should fight racism, not argue about whether it's systemic. Ravery writes. Words matter. Everyone understands what racism means, but fewer people understand what is meant by systemic. The fight against racism unites all people of good faith, adding systemic divides even people of good faith. Racism is a crime against humanity. Such evil does not need a linguistic booster that creates more confusion. In the Financial Post, Perrin Beatty argues that while shutting down the economy was hard, reopening will be even harder. Beatty writes, This disease has not been beaten, and we will be forced to live with it in our midst until we have a vaccine. No plan can eliminate risk, but one that is well-designed can reduce it to manageable proportions. We'll face setbacks and course corrections, but we must move toward reopening society. It's tempting to say that no risk is acceptable, but trying to avoid all risk would be the costliest strategy of all. In McLean's, Adam Gordon argues... The best type of COVID-19 surveillance is the sort that's right in your face. Gordon writes, As societies begin the slow process of reopening from COVID-19 lockdown, governments across the world are turning to surveillance measures. If we want to protect ourselves in the long run from government overreach, we need the measures they implement in the short term to be annoying. We must be constantly aware of which hard-won liberties we've surrendered to government. That way... We'll remember to take them back. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. Members of Parliament will get together for a special sitting of the House of Commons today to debate legislation tabled by the government containing new penalties for people defrauding the Canada Emergency Response Benefit. CPAC's Martin Stringer has more. Mark, after the daily session of the Commons Special COVID Committee in mid-afternoon, MPs will gather in the Commons to debate the government's legislation. Bill C-17 spells out potential penalties of up to $5,000 in fines and up to six months in prison for people who are found to be fraudulently receiving the $2,000 a month CERB payment. 
The government says it's not trying to persecute Canadians who may have mistakenly claimed the benefit, but it's focusing on real fraudsters. The government will need the support of at least one of the major opposition parties to pass the legislation. The thing is, the NDP, which supported the government in the last vote, says the penalties are too heavy-handed to gain NDP support. The Bloc Québécois says it won't support the legislation unless the government brings in an economic update before the summer, calls a first minister's meeting and renounces the federal employer's salary subsidy which the Liberal Party is receiving. So the question might be, will the Conservatives come around to supporting the government? They too have a list of conditions for their support. In any case, this afternoon will no doubt kick off what could be a long debate in the House of Commons. Thanks, Martin. Also today, the Prime Minister will speak with the Prime Minister of North Macedonia before delivering commencement speeches in both English and French to the class of 2020 at Carleton University. He will then attend the sitting of the Special Committee on the COVID-19 pandemic. Bloc Québécois leader Yves-François Blanchet will hold a news conference in Ottawa and Green Party Parliamentary Leader Elizabeth May will present a blueprint for recovery focused on the transition to a green economy. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Wednesday, June the 10th. Tune in to CPAC and CPAC.ca throughout the day today for continuing coverage of the coronavirus crisis. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.